This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Providing innovative neonatology solutions for more than 35 years, Chiesi is committed to supporting the neonatology community and the NICU families you serve. To learn more, visit www.nicuconnections.com slash incubator. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We are joined this morning by Robert DeGeronimo and Sarah Keen. Bob, Sarah, thank you for coming on the podcast. Let's put Sarah's microphone close to her face. And you, you have to be uncomfortably close to the microphones to minimize the, to minimize the, um, the background noise. But uh, can you uh, maybe introduce yourselves in terms of where you're from and what kind of uh, role do you play within the CHNC or it's one of its focus groups? Go ahead first. Okay, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm Sarah Keen. I'm a neonatologist like many of us, and mm-hmm. I work at Emory Choa in Atlanta. Cool. Um, and um, I guess my big roles is I'm one of the co-chairs of the CDH focus group with Teresa Grover, who yeah. is, you know, one of the bright lights of CHNC, so I get to ride on her coattails. <laughs> um, and then I am, uh, and I don't know eager member of the ECMO focus group. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually not one of the co-chairs, so that's Natalie. Rinsley. But it's not an automatic. It's not because you joined the CDH group no. that you're automatically enrolled in the ECMO. No, I, I, I like that too. <laughs> I mean, if you don't like both, you're in real trouble. There is quite a bit. So, and then, so Natalie is actually the co-chair with Bob, but um, she's actually not here. So. Oh, fine. fine. So that's that's okay. me. Uh, and then I'm Bob DiGeronimo. I'm uh, at University of Washington, Seattle Children's Hospital. And um, I got involved with CHNC, I, I guess, shortly after I got out of the military. And uh, I was in Salt Lake before I was in Seattle. And uh, they were a fairly early member of CHNC, um, something like 2012 or so. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, just really enjoyed being part of CHNC and over time, you know, there seemed to be, you know, a, um, a space that was kind of missing for a lot of what we did with ECMO. Um, and, um, uh, and Natalie, uh, at CHOP, we kind of got together, uh, talk with Jackie and created the ECMO focus group. Um, Very cool. um I think like five years ago or so. Huh. so okay. And then I've been pretty involved since then. And you're a neonatologist as well? I am a neonatologist, yeah. Cool. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> when you're at a conference, it's like you're on vacation, right? You have a but, different identity. But here, we have to make sure we ask. Yeah, There's so, so many, many, so many yeah, different specialties. And yeah, sure. yeah, of right, course, of right, course. Right. Um, we have lots of questions about the focus groups, um, but I wanted to take advantage of your involvement with the CHNC for you know now over a decade, and um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how you've seen it grow. Um, sure. You know the 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 positives that it's um, brought yeah, to I your practice. Yeah, I think it's been been really exciting to see it grow from where it started, and you know now with um, 
having, I, I think, I think it's like 46 mm-hmm. sites and growing every year. Um, but it, you know, I, I think when you're, you're primarily based at a children's hospital, um, having that network of people that you can reach out to about difficult cases or, you know, how do you do this? Or, you know, have you experienced this? You know, it, it was hard to really find that group. And, you know, you, you always have kind of friends that you mm-hmm. make along the way, but, um, um, I think to me, that's been the best thing over time. Um, and then also as the other focus groups have grown, um, you know, I, I think those networks of, um, having people that, you know, at other centers and that you can reach out to, and you can talk to once a month about, you know, how you doing this and just that knowledge sharing Mm -hmm. to me is really the best thing about CHNC where, um, you know, it's not like we're not going to tell you what we're doing and it's, it's just super collaborative. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, that's what I think I liked from the very beginning was just, you know, people were very open and, you know, you know, wonderful about sharing, um, how they, how they did things. And it, it just, I think makes everybody better. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something we haven't touched about. We've talked, spoken to many focus group members, but you guys are meeting. It seems like in every focus group, at least Mm. once a month, some groups more often. Yeah. Yeah, So we're, we're once a month. Yeah. Some of the, I think CDH, CDH is, is twice a month, yeah, yeah. usually. A few cancellations we're here. That's true. We're all too tired after yeah. this week, but, but usually we're twice a month. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's that's a not an insignificant investment, you know, to, yeah. to bring to your units. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Bob is famous for, I think, being in all the original seven focus groups. Oh. Yeah. So. yeah, I had a... Um, now, now he's yeah. The Roger Federer of yeah. uh, the yeah, CHNC. Really. That was a running he's, joke he's, for he's a He's actually well-known. What were the original seven? Um, let's see. There was, oh, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, uh, it was CDH, um, NEC, um, uh, the HIE group. Um, there was a group that's called the PACE group now that's palliative care and, um, oriented, but it was called the mortality group. I don't know if you heard that. And then yeah. they decided that was a bad name. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Fair enough. um, I think, and then the gastroschisis group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't part of that, but one of my coworkers at Children's <laughs> runs mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah. And the BPD, I think. BPD. Oh, and BPD, um, yes. Which you're yeah. also in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. involved with BPD. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Because it really, you really started to look at um, what are the things we get, you know, referred in most uh, about, yeah. but but still don't have enough numbers individually to, to study. Yeah. And now it's grown yeah. extensively. I saw all those tables at the focus group. Here. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think it's kind of for those same reasons, you know, where, um, again, for all those diagnoses that, um, you know, are you, you certainly have those patients at other hospitals, yeah. but you know, you, you tend to get, you know, that's your primary population at, you know, these freestanding referral children's hospitals. And again, being able to you know, have, um, expertise in, and a lot of patient volume in those areas really, I think allows you to, um, you know, take better care of your patients mm-hmm. when you reach out to other people. Cause yeah, I mean, we're all better when we don't do it by yourself. Totally. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the aspects of the CHNC really shines in the CDH focus group because 
it is it is a, a pathology that we all see fairly rarely, thankfully. Um, you rarely walk into a unit and there's like 12 babies with CDH, yes. thankfully. But when, and despite the, the scarcity, despite the scarcity of the, the pathology, because of the collaborative efforts, the, the work that you guys have been able to put out includes a tremendous number of patients, which is always quite impressive. I think we were looking at some of the posters also this, this time around. Um, hundreds of patients with CDH, which... It, before the era of uh, collaboration would have been impossible to even conceive, to put yeah. that together in a synchronous fashion. Yeah, I think we're currently, I mean, since 2010, it's like 3,600 patients wow. with CDH, which is, yeah, like a, a crazy number. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no one place has anything like that. So, And it really lets us look, even within CDH, at like smaller groups that would be small at any one place. Um, we're doing a project now on CDH and congenital heart disease, sort of coexisting. And, you know, usually you have four patients with that, and it's hard to gather any. Yeah, when you're looking for two inclusion criteria, exactly. then the numbers, yeah. the numbers dwindle down. Yeah. So, um, so, and, and so the, the numbers on that look like, you know, there's going to be real numbers that we can actually get some information. So, so it's really great. What are some of the things that you guys have been able to look at that you're quite proud of in terms of how you've been able to move the needle forward and, and how we take care of these babies today when it comes to CDH specifically? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really nice about it, because CDH is, you know, like a popular disease, right? I mean, there's the CDH study group. It's not more than, say, gastroschisis or some of the other things. There are people that are interested in it, but um, CHNC has so much broad like data on nutrition, central lines, infections, things that though some of those other groups focus a lot on the mm-hmm. cardiorespiratory, which is super important, but the other stuff is probably just as important. And we have information on that, that those groups just don't collect mm. because the CDH database has, or the CHNC database has so much information. So. Yeah. I think there's so many aspects to the care of babies with uh, CDH that we can think of, whether it is pre-repair, whether it is post-repair, I think how they do feeding-wise afterwards. I mean, there's so many aspects of it that could be investigated. I'm wondering right now at this meeting, how what kind of priorities are you guys setting for the future in terms of what needs to be investigated sooner rather than later? Yeah. You know, everything. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think nutrition is still a big focus for us. Um, one area that I'm personally really interested in is is care for the babies after they're repaired, sort of as they're recuperating, especially ventilator and respiratory support management. I mean, every place now, everyone has a protocol for mm-hmm. delivery room care, yeah. the early days, but almost no one has a protocol or one with any data mm-hmm. for after that. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing uh, we're going to put our heads together and look at. And then um, I think, you know, it becomes popular every 10 years or so, but like hemodynamics and CDH, right? It's really complicated and you can really, you know, either do great or not. Right, <laughs> so, right. so that's the, that's the other thing we're kind of looking at right now. So. I think they're also the... Um the whole, you know, where does ECMO mm-hmm. play, you know, what role does it play with CDH? Um, you know, it's pretty consistent in most databases that about a third of, of CDH babies will end up on ECMO. But it's a little controversial about how you use it, when you use it, when you repair mm-hmm. on ECMO. Um, so I, I know as a, you know, we've had a lot of overlap right. between CDH and ECMO. Um, and I, you know, there, there's been a movement to, you know, maybe put these kids on sooner and repair them sooner, but is that really the, the right thing to do? I don't think we really know that, but it, I think that's opened a lot of, um, collaboration and discussion about, you know, really what is the best approach. Um, and the other thing that's really nice too, is it, you know, that, that is one, um, 
disease that the surgeons are pretty heavily involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> I think within CHNC, what I like about the CDH group too is we have a lot of pediatric surgery yeah. people that participate. So and when you go to the different, um, you know, CDH meetings, you know, CHNC, I think has had more of a presence moving forward. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you the CDH international meeting is in Lille, France, I think. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> so, um, a very big cardiac uh, city. Lille, okay. uh, yeah. Um, but that, you know, I think there will be a pretty good, um, representation from CHNC there and, um, and, and, you know, again, not just, you know, in our country, but it is one of those diagnoses I think that, you know, crosses. Is that something you guys are thinking about looking beyond the U S and trying to establish ties with other groups that are working on CDH around the globe? Yeah, no, that for sure. And that's the same with ECMO too. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's Euro ELSO, um, Mm -hmm. and they, Europeans, a lot of them come, uh, to, to the meetings in the States and not, not just, but you, you know, also like South America, other mm-hmm. parts of the world, Asia. And, um, and I think, you know, we're seeing that more with CDH where people are, are trying to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us also a little bit more, obviously you guys have a lot of crosstalk, but some of the other pathologies and other things you guys are looking for in the, the ECMO group specifically. Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, you know, because, you know, ECMO, like if you do, um, you know, 10 cases a year, you know, that's probably like high volume for yeah. a, a neonatal center. It is, even though it yeah. doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, recently. It sounds terrifying. Yeah. 10 ECMO uh, cases a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you really kind of have to be part of a, like a, a larger ECMO program in System. your hospital, yeah. right? Where yeah. you, you just can't do it as neonatology anymore. You have to uh, collaborate with your your pick you friends, you know, as painful as that can be sometimes, but they're, they're actually or, or pretty the nice. CI. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, That's, that's kind of a step painful. up. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just um, kidding. <laughs> but it, it is also one of those things that so I much think, room for improvement. Yeah. Right? Communication <laughs> with our colleagues. But within your children's hospital, it's yeah. nice. Cause you, you know, I think you get to know those people and you share a lot of resources. Um, but you know, recently there's been, you know, a lot of issues with equipment, um, mm. And supply shortages, you know, I know we've seen that with medications, but in, in ECMO specifically, you know, the, the circuits and the different auctionators, um, there's been um, a lot of um, uh, um, shortage or manufacturers have kind of stopped making systems. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of the stuff, you know, with, with so much adult ECMO now, you know, they just don't design things that are specific for neonate. So I, I think for us, a lot of you know, the new equipment or technology that comes out, you know, trying to sort through, you know, what actually works for neonates and is mm-hmm. it safe mm-hmm. to use in neonates has become really, really important. And, you know, Sarah's done like a tremendous amount of work with um, doing VV ECMO versus v- VA ECMO. And they're, you know, clearly a leader in that at Emory. But, you know, for three or four years, we had, you know, the VV cannulas that fit neonates were off the market. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of centers that did neonatal ECMO kind of forgot how to do, you know, VV ECMO. And that's actually one of the workshops we did here. Um, and we actually did it last year and was really popular was teaching, you know, neonatology how to do VV ECMO again. Cause mm-hmm. you know, now there, cause a new cannula came on the market and has been out and, and that's been a great collaboration. Um, Brian Gray, who's a surgeon in Indiana, we've been, you know, pulling our cases together and, you know, we're planning to publish that, but 
you know, I think we learned, you know, there were some, um, you know, definite kind of little nuances of how you use it. Um, but to me, that was a great example is how, you know, when that came back on the market and we kind of all talked to each other and, you know, oh, this didn't go well, you know, but this went, went great. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's been really important work that we've done recently. Yeah. And I, the, the workshops are so valuable because even if you, even if you're saying 10 a year, right, if you don't have a dedicated team and some units don't, so everybody cycles through, you may only get C one or two on, on your service time. Um, so I think even for those of you who are doing, seeing a quote unquote lot of it, that's so valuable to, to have those yeah. um, hand on, hands on opportunities. And a lot of, you know, um, there's been kind of creep with neonatal ECMO too, where hospitals, you know, they've kind of just put those kids in the PICU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, it's, um, you know, not that they don't know how to take care of ECMO patients, but it's, you know, it, they don't, you know, it's a different population sure. and all the stuff that goes into, caring for a CDH or a neonate, um, you know, those sorts of things, you know, can get missed depending on what sort of collaboration you have within your units. But there's been a real movement, I think, within the children's hospitals to bring ECMO back into the NICU primarily. And I I think we've, um, at CHNC, have really played an important role with helping centers, you know, using our experience, um, to say, you know, this is how you bring it back in. This is the training you should do. Um, you know, and that was part of what we were talking about at our workshop was, you know, doing neonatal specific simulation to, you know, kind of reteach us so we can safely do it. You know, because I, I do think, um, and I think we kind of, as neonatologists, believe those babies, you know, are better cared for in the NICU if, mm-hmm. if you can do that at your center. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I think the HIE patient on ECMO is the other group. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, sure. it's. I mean, we've been doing that and continuing cooling now in most of the NICUs for I don't know five or ten years, and really we've had pretty good outcomes. Yeah. Like a lot of some kids actually normal at follow up. Yeah. You wow. know, and and it. Um, but when you when you see those babies cared for in the PICU, there's, you know not the knowledge we have about how good, especially the moderate HIE patients can do in terms of outcomes. And so they have a lot of doubts about even mm. offer about candidacy, which we had 15 years ago. Sure. I mean, to be clear. And so I think that's one at your yeah. else anyway, the, the most of the questions I got from PICU doctors were PICU doctors taking care of NICU patients and uncomfortable about HIE. And that's actually a huge group right now yeah. and like cooling and managing all of that kind of stuff, you know, that, um, I don't know. That's easy to do wrong too. Yeah. So. yeah. And that's, we actually did publish a paper from our experience mm-hmm. showing that that's one of the areas where VV is better than VA and you have less um, brain injury. And, you know, so I, I think that was an important message. You know, if you're putting these kids on, if you can do VV, that's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. One of the things that you guys brought up at um, this year's symposium is potentially looking at how can we incorporate precision medicine in CDH and, and thinking about maybe how we can start triaging patients based on risk severity and trying to think about calculators. Can you talk a little bit about what that project may look like? Because I think it's something that we would not even have considered in the past to actually be able to triage patients with such a rare condition. But now thanks to the to the large data set that you guys have and the years of experience, you're actually able to maybe classify patients with CDH based on risk factors, which is kind of impressive. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we have some of the information, but we don't have everything. Fair you know? enough. I mean, the thing you learn, even as you look at these big g- groups, is that, you know, you get OE. LHR, you get these different numbers, and those just don't tell the whole story. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you get information on the cardiac status, those kind of things, but you're you're missing part of it. So I do, and yeah, I don't I I don't really know where that's going to go, but I think we have like sixty percent of the data on who's going to do well, but we're missing this big chunk mm-hmm. that is yeah genetic or something. You know that we need to figure out, and it CDH like isolated CDH often haven't historically gotten like genetic testing Mm -hmm. or any of that kind of stuff but you know it's a big anomaly and Mm -hmm. i think we'll start to do more of that and then you know maybe maybe figure some stuff out for me being on the outside it does feel like though the goal is in reach though i feel like maybe not today but in a few i feel like in the few years we'll be able to get there is it is that miss miss I, I think we're going to make progress. That's good. And then make progress. We're going to learn that and in then France. Make yes. <laughs> yeah. The French are going to teach us. And then, and then in 20 years, we'll be like, I can't believe we did that. That's uh-huh. ago, yeah, because but that's true. how medicine works. But right? even, even the things you're talking about right now, LHR and stuff like that, things that we've used as dogma for how do we think about these patients, we're rethinking already, which is a huge step in the process of establishing a new way of thinking for these yeah, p- patients. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the pulmonary, you know, vessel remodeling, right? I mean, it's so complicated and it's not anything like anyone else. Right. And it, it never, it doesn't fit with severity like it should, you know? Right. So that, like, I think that would be huge. Like, which which medicine, you know, we're basically just putting sequential pulmonary hypertension meds yep. on to see which one works, hoping right. one does. And it would like to have an idea what was going on in a particular patient and which one is most likely to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, that would be incredibly helpful. So, because sometimes we end up on four and we're still not any better. Right, <laughs> so. right. Right. Yeah. We feel better at least that we, we, that feel we, like we tried it. That's okay. Yeah. But, yeah. It, yes. but I think also the, um, you know, to your point, Ben, like identifying, you know, who are those really sick patients, yeah. you know, and the whole fetal therapy, you know, we have a fetal therapy group uh, at CHNC, um, but you know how that fits in, you know, and, and what is the benefit, um, you know, and trying to have those markers to identify, you know, the sicker patients that really should deliver at a children's hospital. But it's also allowed, I know, at our center um, having, you know, pretty, like, really low-risk CDH patients. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a big catchment area, yeah. you know, having a family travel from Alaska <laughs> or Montana to Seattle is a long distance. And if you can't identify, you know, patients that are low-risk that are going to do well and they have pediatric surgeons, you know, it. I think it can allow those families to, to stay home and, mm-hmm. and minimize know, the trauma on the family. Yeah, for sure. yeah and I, yeah, I think that's huge. the other end of, you know, what's low risk that we can yeah, safely maybe take care of in the community. Mm-hmm. I, love I love that. Well, Bob, Sarah, thank you for joining us today. We've learned a lot and, and we're looking forward to seeing more uh, articles coming out from your groups. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nicupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the dash incubator.org you can also message the show on instagram or x formerly known as twitter at nicu podcast thanks again for listening and see you next time
This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.